0: From Lubbock Community Theatre, this is Five Till Places.
1: Thank you.
2: Hello
0: everyone, welcome again to another episode of LCT's Five Till Places podcast. I am Jed. I'm Heather. I'm Charlie.
2: I'm Beth. I'm Daniel.
0: And we have... I think not just a guest but a returning guest. I think this may be our first returning guest.
1: Yay. Yes. Hello, so.
0: I'm Robin. Yes.
3: So
1: we didn't yes. scare her off
3: enough that she decided <laughs> to come back and see and <laughs> we see we're not we're not so awful.
4: No. <laughs> now y'all are my favorite people.
3: Good.
2: You already here first. We'll see if that lasts. <laughs>
3: One of three. One of three that like us.
0: (laughs) So um, basically today we are continuing a a long ongoing discussion of diversity and inclusion in theater. We talked a bit about race before and um, today we are going to focus on inclusion of the LGBTQ community in theater and how that how that it it, how that looks now and where there could be some improvement Mm -hmm. that discussion i think flows pretty nicely from the top five that we that we had a couple of weeks ago and that's kind of why we wanted to do that particular top five then because we felt it would lead into this discussion which theater i think has a reputation for being a home to lgbtq persons Like, that, there's almost a stereotype, at least, of gay men being in the theater, regardless of of the rest of the community. There is at least that stereotype. But um, it's not really enough for us to rest on that. We need to actually look at—I was interested—I mean, if we can jump right into it. I was actually very interested on that subject, on the discussion uh, that was had between Robin and Daniel, specifically over Hedwig and the the Angry Inch uh, during the Top Five. We talked about... Do what?
2: No, he just... I was like... I, I like got all contentious and I felt bad. And so.
0: I, I didn't feel like that was very contentious. Um, listening as an outsider, someone who wasn't involved in the discussion, I didn't think it was terribly contentious. I think it was... I think the reason I bring that up is that I think it goes into what I was talking about, how we have people almost... It's almost a joke, almost a, a stereotype that gay men love theater and there are gay men in the theater. And obviously gay cisgendered men are not the whole of the LGBTQ community and that conversation i think brought up the idea of representation of other facets of queer life trans representation in the theater in specific is is perhaps a, a bit underdone and i i don't want to be the only one commenting on this because i as a <laughs> head dude i don't need to be the one making all the uh, <laughs> all the all the comments and the points and
1: can you clear Can somebody clear something up for me? Representation, is that more roles or the actors in roles or both? Both. Both.
0: Yeah. It's nice to be included, um, to be cast at all, um, because I think there are some places that don't allow that or will do that. Um, But I think you also need to have uh, roles that are LGBTQ uh, that can be portrayed by those people on stage.
4: Also about accessibility. That's a big thing because a lot of roles are not written with the LGBT community in mind. And obviously like every creator has the right to their work and to write it however they want, but very few people leave an option. Like, okay, like just as an example, in musicals especially, very few musicals are written with the intention of if you're casting a lead as a trans person, uh, or if you're casting a trans person as a lead and they may not have gotten, you know, if they're taking tea, if they're taking testosterone, maybe their voice hasn't dropped yet. And if they're taking estrogen, maybe they haven't gotten to have their tracheal shave yet. So their voice is still real low. Not a whole lot of musicals are written for, I mean, you have written for alto voices, but very, very few are written for like women with like tenor voices, you know, like it's, it's, that, that is not, and it's, it, it is seen as taboo to raise or drop the octave on, a melody line in a musical if you're if you're putting it on that is seen as something that is somehow like um like a black mark on your on your ability on your talent as a performer if you had to drop the octave or raise the octave because it wasn't the part wasn't in your range then people are oh, okay well why didn't they just cast somebody with the singing voice to do it and it's like okay well maybe they weren't the best person acting for the role uh but they just didn't have the range to hit the notes that i think like normalizing things like changing lines of music and actually like writing parts with the idea in mind that not all two people are going to be able to play it the same way. I I. Am, I, I, I think it's time for a new normal. I think that's the baseline of that. I think that, that what is normal right now is not working for certain, and I'm obviously not everyone in the LGBT community, but for certain people in the LGBT community.
3: Well, we're like seven minutes in and you just brought up something I would have never thought about. <laughs> I would have never thought that would be what might keep um, a transgender woman or man from from being a lead in a, in a musical. I w- that's that is and wow why is that I would have never wondered why that's a big deal to change that octave. I myself am a second soprano who cannot hit all of the notes that sometimes they'd <laughs> like me to hit. So even I would appreciate it being a little more normalized to changing uh Yeah, to changing notes, to being able to um, sing more roles, that'd be great
4: yeah you have some classics like andrew but like the thing is like people like andrew lloyd weber like he doesn't even write music for humans to sing you know he yeah. writes music based on how good it sounds <laughs> yeah, and right. then follows up with okay if anybody can hit these notes feel free to come audition so like it's again it's not always necessarily like it's not a blanket fix but i think that would be a good start
0: and what do you think that stigma is there do you think it's just kind of along the same reasons that like we don't change the work it, it, the author has presented it how they intend, and we...
4: Yeah, I definitely think it goes into this weird, like, elitist mindset that this paywall that Broadway is hidden behind now. I think it's, I think, like, theater went from being the place where everyone goes to the place where only, you know, the, the really well to do can afford to go. It's like a, a tuxedo and dinner box, you know, thing. It's not for... It, people claim, you know, feeder's for everybody, but only if you're... Able to get there, you know. And even then, if you have the, if you don't have the $350 for your for your ticket, then you know you're 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 good luck finding anything online because you know they, they crack down so hard on the bootlegs, which obviously like that's illegal and that's, you, that's not something that, but it's just like you you have to understand why people are trying so hard to find a way to watch shows because people find themselves in theater. And I don't know why, but there seems to be this mindset of in the theater community of, well, those who are the old, the olders, the, those, are those who know, if, if you know more plays, if you've been in more plays, if you're a little older, if you've been in the theater community for a while, you somehow have more say and are a better person than the other people around you who are passionate. It's like, it's like just doing it because you love it isn't enough You also have to know the entire history of theater. You have to know every single thing that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Jason, Robert Brown or whoever ever wrote, you know, like you or else people will just dismiss you immediately. And I think that culture is part of the reason why people look down on changing octaves or people who can't hit certain notes. Um, I remember like one and this isn't related to like pitch so much as just like again that elitist mindset but i remember very distinctly and i'm not gonna name names but i was doing a musical here in town and i remember very distinctly that people were singing in the dressing room um take me or leave me by rent and somebody chimed in with uh, completely unnecessary oh i love that you can tell who's singing the movie version and who's singing the play version and i'm like why does it matter if you're having fun and you're enjoying yourself and you love what you're doing i think that should be the long and short of it and it's it's up to the director and the people who are in charge of the show to determine whether or not you sh- you're supposed to be there you know i don't think that's up for other random people to decide just because they think they have more feeder knowledge and i think that that wall keeps a lot of people out of the feeder community um, i know like i have my partner um hated theater kids before i met them Um, Mm. my partner identifies as non-binary and they have never been treated as anything less than like a lesser person by theater people in their life and i was like i am so sorry that you've had that experience but like yeah they went to public school and apparently like the the kids there were very made made learning about theater an insufferable process and i just i think that that is something we need to discourage and go back to the theater is for everyone mindset
1: i think there's a little bit of this um mindset that might exist and you guys can chime in on this and correct me if you think if I'm, if I'm wrong but some of those some of the when we talk about musical theater some of those bigger ones like the 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 andrew lloyd weber stuff in addition to being crazy hard to sing have been turned into almost theater scripture mm. like you don't you don't touch them it's always going to be Phantom is always going to be this guy. Christine's always going to be this girl, and stuff like that. And and it's almost held up as holy.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. There's 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 definitely a uh, theatrical canon,
1: which I think is dumb.
0: Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. And it leads to people uh, across the country producing the same dozen musicals and the same fifteen straight plays.
2: Ugh. Yeah, Heather. That's tired. <laughs> why do why you, you keep putting the same place on all the time? I'm joking.
3: You know, I do think it's kind of interesting. I, I saw, I this is random, but I re- read somewhere about fast food restaurants. It was like the history of fast food. And like, there was this level of, it became comfort and that's how, um, sometime after the depression or whatever, but there was this comfort in the fact that she could walk into these different places and get the same recipe, the same food, the same, like, it, it was, I think that there's almost this level of fast food or cookie cutter theater, which I think is really, at some point, the antithesis of what theater should be. I think it should be a different experience every time you go. Every, yeah. every director's vision on it, every performer, thank you, Mabel, every performer's take on this character. I think that that Actually, I want to take theater away from being this cookie cutter fast food. We're all going to do uh, Mamma Mia the same way. We're always going to have this, you know, white blonde person to be this character. Or, you know, it's I think that it opens the door. to. That's why you go see Little Shop of Horrors every single time, because you're going to see this different grouping of people do it. Or I would go see Phantom of the Opera a lot more often if I thought that I was going to get a different show. Which I don't know. But yeah. that that's. I think that's a, well, an interesting way to look at that
4: and that but even a good comes different to, not gerard butler different right <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> and
0: i think that even comes to like a, not just that the the canon should be open to uh being interpreted differently the canon should be open <laughs> to being ignored and left behind entirely
3: absolutely it's
0: yes. like assuming we were not in the middle of a global pandemic and the world were open as normal find me a production anywhere in the united states or even anywhere in the state of texas of of death of a salesman it'll take you 10 seconds like somebody's doing it somewhere right now always forever world without end, amen and like do i need to see it again like once i've seen it once do i need to see it again even like what drastic reinterpretation are you going to give this that is going to make me say, oh, I'm glad I've seen this for the ninth time. Like just, there's so much, and, and that again is is a part I think what um, leads us to failing in representation of anything that's not cis head white men, because so much of what's the canon is 60 to 80 to 120 years old, or in the case white of Shakespeare, man. 400 years old. And like... Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but it's not 1642 anymore, and we can do other things now. You wow. know what,
3: though? I really feel like this the pandemic or this way – revolution is happening all over the place, whether it's from politics to um, jobs and, and the economy and everything else that's going on. I think the reason theater is getting such a scope on it, too, is that this is – even being a producer or a, a theater administrator, literally the conversations we were having just last year were: we have to do named shows. You know, we 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 have to stay in this rut because that's what gets people in the theater. And believe me, I'm always a I'm always a pusher of balance. I want to have. I, I think you got to bring in new audiences too, and all that. I, I don't want to go into. I'm saying, for the majority, there's this idea that we've I got to do. <laughs> we've got to do these shows that people want to come see, right? But now, now that we're in this era, in this, this realm, um, to me, the door is open so much more easily to have. So like even LCT, for example, we could do some shows, do some readers' theaters, some radio shows, um, have even more access to diverse actors, Um, because we're not just pigeonholed into five or six productions that are on our main stage. We could do a reader's theater or a radio show every two weeks or once a month or, and we could pick those shows because there's not, there's not a $10,000 budget that's attached to it. We could do more. I, I just, I just, I see the theater world opening up. The revolution is happening there, just like it is with everything else. And this is the time. How do we address the LGBTQ inclusion? how do we make sure that we are doing better about representing these voices? And that's why I'm so glad uh, we have some help to navigate us through it.
0: Another point uh, during the top five discussion that that Robin, that you brought up that I thought was really interesting and um, that could be explored further is, as far as inclusivity regarding roles on stage, I mean, obviously that's not the only part of the discussion here. But as far as that aspect of the discussion, um, it was it was talked about how the LGBTQ inclusive roles and stories out there are are almost all about the trauma of the experience.
4: Yeah, a lot of my research when I was looking at like popular, often done LGBT plays, it is all stories about oh this is this tragedy of you know that that and it's never has a happy ending and it's always either they have aids or it's world war Two and you know it's it's and i get that Because the thing is, like, their art is how people express themselves. And a lot of those were made during times where people were coming out of these situations and needed a way to share that, share that experience, make that known, raise awareness, what have you. And that is important. That is incredibly important. However, we are in the year 2020. And just recently in 2014, did we ever have our first lesbian protagonist in a Broadway musical? In 2014. And it's 2020 now. And we haven't really had, we've had the prom. Uh, We have Be More Chill, where the bisexual character's bisexuality is played off as a joke um, Mm. at the very, very end of the show and not mentioned at all before then. Um, You have uh, things like, I mean, things like Kinky Boots tell a story, but that still conflates drag culture with LGBT culture. And... One of the big problems is you have a lot of the, a lot of the the um, flamboyancy that came into theater on the on the on the other side of the '80s was because of the drag scene because the drag scene was what was pushing for a lot of equality at the time you know like that was it was the, it was drag queens and trans women were the ones that, that first started pride and but the problem with that now is that people have confused the two so what you have is a bunch of shows where you have men playing drag queens who are who are called women and that's not the same as being a trans woman and that is that is but the problem with that is the same reason why RuPaul sits on an, an empire and doesn't ever do anything else to be more progressive than he was in the nineties, um, is because.
0: And even seems openly transphobic. At oh, absolutely.
4: That and well, well, the, the, cause straight people, straight people feel safe when the queer POC people that they are exposed to are done so in a way that to them is entertaining and showy um that is why you have the stereotype of the gay man in theater that is and that goes all the way back to minstrel culture that goes all the way back to uh people putting on shows in blackface um and imitating black mannerisms that and that that you know that goes the way back but uh, the 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 status quo will always feel more comfortable when they are like okay this story is back in world war ii back in the 80s this is not related to me now, this is something that I can look on and say, oh, that's tragic, and not have to think any more about it than that, not have to think about the real people who went through that, not have to think about the people who probably are still going through that. It's just, this is a piece of entertainment for me, so I can feel like a good person for supporting the gays, quote unquote, or whatever. me, but then those are the same people who will turn around and complain about, you know, the the trans people at their at their school or their church or whatever, because that's not digestible. That is not a person presenting themselves in a way that is entertaining and marketable for you. That is someone just trying to live their life. And if they don't meet your expectations for what they're supposed to look like, nine times out of 10, that person's going to get, you know, dismissed or called slur, uh, God forbid. And it's it is a egregious double standard that is, that, 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 that provides my main issue with things like RuPaul's Drag Race, with things like Kinky Boots, with things like Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Not because they weren't progressive when they came out, but because to continue to do those things has gone from progressive to regressive. We are now damaging the public image of the LGBT community by continuing to put any single to to make any single gay exposure that happens about either tragedy or drag culture that is no longer forward thinking we are now stuck in a loop and we need to we have we have good things happening things like fun home things like the prom and like fun home is tragic but at least that's a true story told by the person who went through it at least that was created by an lgbt person and not a straight person going well what if gay people were really sad all the time and that makes that let, you know like and then you have the prom and that the prom is a is huge because it, it it doesn't make fun of its leads it doesn't use them being gay as the plot device you know like or it doesn't it doesn't use them being gay as like their whole personality like and it and it shows them working together to like try and overcome a problem that was that a problem that they wouldn't have had if they weren't both gay, which is something that, you know, I I think a lot of people can relate to, especially in high school. So um, that it's important, it is incredibly important that we very closely examine the ways in which our LGBT characters are supposed to be. It's not about like, Okay, who's playing? It's about like the intention of how the audience is supposed to interpret that character. If if they are if they are openly villainous or conniving or manipulative, or maybe maybe don't code them gay because it's not inclusion if you have if you have gone back around and regressed to villainizing or you know um, uh, you know the, the 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 person you're trying to include.
3: I just want to point out that the prom is now released for rights and royalties as
1: <laughs> Yay.
3: Um, that's, that's, that's so hard to hear. I, sometimes when I, I, I think that that's another way where there's these good intentions and you feel like you're doing okay. Um And then you, yeah, you hear you hear from the voices in the room that need to be talking and you understand how you're still missing the mark. Like it, it can't sounds, be good intentions anymore. It can't be good intentions.
0: Right. It it sounds very much like like one, and this came up in the race discussion as well. Um, that we took a step and then felt like, well, we've done it now. We took this step. And so <laughs> now we can rest on these laurels and we don't have to continue progressing. We've we've done the thing. Uh, What else do you want from us? And it also sounds like the inclusion really uh, what needs to be at the heart of it is is, is normalization. So then that we have have uh, like the stories about the trauma and, and 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 such. There's there's a place for it because stories like the Laramie Project need to be told because that is still happening. But if we're going to actually represent and actually include everyone then then what we need to be doing is just normalizing like you're saying just telling stories we can just have a romantic comedy that is like it turns out that this the center of this romantic comedy comedy is a, a, a couple who is you know some form of queer and that's but that doesn't have to be the focus like this is different from others because it's two gay guys or something it, it's it's just a romantic comedy because homosexual couples and various other things will run into the same pitfalls of romance that heterosexual couples will. And it's just like, there just needs to be more normalization. Mm -hmm. So what's the next
1: step? What we know that, we know that more steps can be taken. We know that more progress needs to be made. Is there a practical way to go about it?
4: I think Jed had a really good point and I think, I think the next, I think normalization is a really good place to start because I think it's it's important for people to be able to see a queer relationship that isn't the, that where the relationship is the focus and not the queer part. The, 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 they get the same, you know, funny beats, same, same, same kinds of jokes as a straight couple would. but with facing the unique challenges that being in a queer relationship might present, but having that be shown with respect and not played off as a joke. That's, I think that's, and also being able to see, you know, trans people or non-binary people in roles maybe traditionally given to cis men or cis women, because while it might technically be, you know, if, if, if if your trans woman hasn't had um, you know, her throat surgery, or if your trans man has not had, it has not, his voice has not dropped yet, you might have technical difficulty, but I think it would be worth it so that people could actually see on stage what it looks like for a, you know, a a gay, bi, lesbian, transgender, or non-binary individual to be just playing a role and not have the role be about the fact that they are a member of the LGBT community. It, it, It just, just have them in the role as themselves, not having to like, you know, and not have it be a joke. Because even as recently as, I mean, and like, I, I, I love LCT to death, but even as recently as the, the Panto, I think it was like uh, two years ago, you had a man who was cross-dressing for a part and that was very frequently played as a joke. And because it's like, oh, that, that masculine person is in feminine clothing. That's not, that's not God's way and that's the joke. The, the whole joke is that is not normal and that is regressive that is damaging that purports this mindset of oh if I see somebody that I perceive to be as masculine wearing clothing that I perceive to be as feminine that is an open invitation for me to see that person as abnormal that that now that is now cemented in my head that that is not right and because i was allowed to laugh at that in a room full of people you know like that's that i don't think people i don't think people realize necessarily at the time because unless you've lived through that you wouldn't know why that hurts you know like you wouldn't you wouldn't have any reason to suspect that being damaging unless you have been a person who people perceive as masculine you know trying your hardest to look feminine people still quote unquote outing you anyway um it is that is not something that should be joked about And I think the very first step is letting people see people who they might perceive as masculine in roles or in, you know, in in, in roles or positions that would be perceived as feminine and have it just be that way. Just, just have it be that way. And the audience can deal with it. And if, and you know, like, just don't make it a joke. The bot, like, once you've made it a joke, you've gone back around on yourself.
3: I find it interesting that you bring up the panto specifically because I, I, absolutely see what you're saying. And it's it's like you talked about earlier the idea of the minstrel show being um, a, specifically racist and that's where that trope comes from. It's the same idea with the panto. The panto is specifically made that the villain is a person in drag, and that is exactly the way that that is written to be. And so well, and that's I you could, have that's
4: Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. too. Which and Rocky Horror Picture Show is so many people, and I mean so many like the gay community at large, especially like the cis gay community, has that movie like held so near and dear to their hearts as like this is our this is our cult classic, this is for the gays, and I'm like, I don't know how many people realize that the creator of Rocky Horror Picture Show believes that all gay and trans people are like predatory aliens who are bad people and yeah, that was, like this is a public was, you know, thing
0: that- he said, yeah
4: yeah like that that depiction of frankenfurter that is how he believes trans women and trans men to be is just shapeshifters trying to seduce everybody and that is why you have gay panic defense laws still in over half of the states in the u.s that is why you have trans women being murdered at such an alarming rate because it is legal in most places for someone to claim that while well, they were scared because they didn't realize that it wasn't a woman and that is a legal defense they can use to defend against having killed that person you can take a whole ass human life but because it was a trans life you can just say oh well they tricked me and you can just walk out of there scot-free and that is why cross-dressing should not be a joke in plays that is that is that is harmful so dangerous to people who are just trying to live their life on a day-to-day basis people like people like people like you know, plays like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm, I'm so happy that like the gay community feels comfortable enough reclaiming that. But I just don't think enough people still acknowledge the, 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 the creator and his opinions and how unfortunate it is that that play exists, that that show exists in
0: the manner in which
4: it does. Because I mean, also, who was it that played Eddie? Was it Meatloaf? Meatloaf is homophobic Meatloaf. and transphobic yep.
0: too. Meatloaf is a terrible person. And people can talk about separate the art from the artist, but there's... Times when what the artist believes and says informs the art that they create, and absolutely, and like you said, and then <laughs> that ends up backing up mindsets that that in turn get people hurt or killed. There's a and nine
1: nine times out of ten, the art is a direct reflection of something that the artist is thinking, feeling, and or going right. through. Yeah, How the often artist, is it not? Well, the artist a, does a, not
0: generally create art that is not a part of themselves.
1: Right. <laughs> there's right. a
4: huge difference between. So you have like Lovecraft who was a terrible person, but he's dead. So we can look back on him critically and enjoy his work and we know he's not getting a red scent of that. You know, you can still be a Lovecraft fan while acknowledging he was a racist. However, yeah. nowadays you have people like JK Rowling who is still alive and very much still relatively young for somebody with the amount of like influence she has. So and thinks her... that she's an ally. Oh yeah. And so, so people supporting her and, you know, still talking about her and still supporting Harry Potter, you are still putting money in her pocket. And where do you think she's putting that money into programs that are not benefiting you at all you know like that is she is she is using her influence to raise up voices of far-right conspiracy theorists and other people who do not you know need to be given a platform in front of jk rowling's 14 million twitter followers but that's what she's doing or people like orson scott card who uh you have ender's game which is about you know not judging people for being different from you and looking at everyone as like okay maybe you know it's just maybe everyone feels the same things despite being for different places and then he's a raging homophobe who's on Ben yep. Shapiro all the time you yep. know talking about you know I just I it's there's a if the person is still actively and very intentionally doing damage in the world that we live in now then like you can't it's 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 a lot harder to morally separate art from artist because if you're supporting the art is still supporting the artist they're still alive they're still getting all that they're still getting all that kickback
1: Yep. Hemingway came to mind He's dead but He's still widely revered in literary circles And the guy was a misogynist Jerk
0: Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. We come to find that a lot Of the authors of our classics And a lot of people that we hold, Again that we hold up in the canon Were actually awful And a lot of the art they created Was not uh, great And But yeah
3: I think that there's i think that there's a level of um you know looking back at those yeah i think that it's easier to separate the art from the artist from from those from the past because yeah there there was a level of that was the time period and all that and you can give all those excuses but yeah why don't we why don't we do more modern things that aren't they don't have those issues
0: that aren't from that time period
3: We don't have to do those time period all the time and go okay that was just how it was back then uh now we're progressive or trying to be progressive um so let's let's focus on some of those stories now i mean some of those other ones have been done a time or two
0: and maybe three and again going back to the one of the things we discovered when we had the discussion on racial inclusion and diversity was that all we had to do to find this work that we, and these actors and et cetera, that we supposedly couldn't find was to look for them and let these people know that we are looking for them. And, that, and I feel like that's probably the same thing here. Like we can disregard, like put, put the canon away because it's been done enough. And, and for instance, find more work by LGBTQ voices because those voices are out there and there are queer playwrights who would love to get their work produced. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're so hard to find because they all hide in the woods where we can't see them. It's just that we're not looking for them. We, imagine, we pick- the,
1: imagine the environment that you can foster when you simply say the door is open and we're looking for you.
0: Yes, when we go out and say that we want. we are looking for this work. Well, I have a
4: really fun point about that. There is a website called thekilroys.org, dot org, which is an LA based uh, company, but they make a list uh, that they are constantly updating that includes. Um, they do an annual industry survey, and they gather excellent new plays by women, trans, and non-binary playwrights, uh, gay and lesbian playwrights, bisexual playwrights, and it's uh, it is a website specifically for producers who are committed to ending underrepresentation uh, in, right in American theater and Looks I'm like
3: sure we have a link that we'll add to the podcast down. there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the place where we can find stories like we're talking about where it's 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 queer stories that are not just about being murdered for being gay or something you know that are like we're talking about normalizing stories that are just are well you know like we talked about earlier that, that, that are the the normalization that we're looking for
3: I want the romantic comedies. I want the uh, road trip. I want the, I want all of those stories to be just like everything else.
2: Yeah, I would
4: love like a, uh, oh God, like a death by chocolate, but with, you know, like, I'm sorry, that was not, what was I, what am I thinking of? Oh gosh, I'm not gonna be able to remember now. Oh, Duly Departed. Mm-hmm. Dearly Departed, but like, you know, with like queer and trans characters, that show is hilarious. And I think it'd be so great to actually see like some representation in that show.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's another thing we could do too, is take established shows. And I think this got discussed earlier and, and do, um, Dearly Departed is, you know, this redneck family. So automatically we think this is gonna be a real white cast and a real straight cast. And it's like, but it doesn't have to be. Like, could we, we could just just cast trans people in some of the roles or could we, again, that's the thing that changing things is looked at as so hush and taboo and we don't do that, but make one of the heterosexual couples in that script a homosexual couple. The name joke can go a
3: lot of different ways. I mean, you could definitely just take those those roles just like we talked about bringing in minorities i mean why can't this be you just need to turn the casting you can take regular stories and turn them into whatever story because that is just an experience a person has that has nothing to do with their sexuality this is a couple period
4: I think also though a, a big problem especially for community feeders and when it comes to representation and stuff like that as you are you're, you're betting against ticket sales basically you're saying like okay well if I if, if we make this casting choice and we announce it is this going to in our community lessen like is this going to hurt us as a feeder and unfortunately that is a decision that some people have to make and I think that if like our government would put more money into the arts people wouldn't have to rely so heavily in community feeders on ticket sales to make ends meet and then they'd be able to take bigger risks uh, with casting and with show choice and with uh getting rights to certain more expensive shows because they really want to do it you know like i think it'd be easier if they didn't have to have to have to have to rely on ticket sales to make sure that you were going to be able to do the next play
3: well i am pro that statement for sure (laughs) i will i will say most most theaters should not be there's no way to regard to i mean to uh stay afloat via ticket sales as a majority of your income that is unfortunately the reality. I I feel like, so I think when, when the theater chooses an L- LCT in the past, when we have chosen to do non-traditional casting. I've never wanted to make it a show. I've never wanted to go, oh, and look at our um, our deaf child in this role or our uh mental uh special needs child in this role and here's our transgender person in this role and here's our lgbtq um i've never wanted to put it on that way i've just tried to present it like here's our cast here's these talented people here's photos from the show uh because i i want it to feel normalized am i doing the right thing by doing that or do i need to go hey look we're proud of our transgender artists we're proud of our you know how do you do how do you when you
4: when you're announcing the cast i think it's a great idea to just announce them as if you would announce the cast you don't bring attention to the fact that anybody is lgbt or you know like at that point but then when pride rolls around or if there's like a gay pride event that you do then you can be like hey here's all of our Gay, trans artists that work in the theater, you know, give them some support, go support their personal projects, whatever. But like, this is, these are the people, like, and, and obviously ask them first if so people don't want to be outed on social media, you That's know, like, don't, don't call, yeah. because like, I know some people that. Like, while some people are very happy being like, Yes, I am trans and what questions do you have about that? There are other people who are just trying to pass one hundred percent and do not want to be it to be acknowledged that they are trans. They just want to be, you know, acknowledged as a boy or a girl. And that is that is Fine. I am more than comfortable talking about you know my experience, but I know that that does not apply to everybody. So um, I think it's it's important to have that have a moment, have that time, have that that place you know where you dedicate that 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 time to honoring those people and their voices within your community. But I think during the just the natural place selection process, I think you guys do great. I think that's one of the reasons I like working with LCT is because at no point have I ever worried about. Y- the theater putting me in a position that I was uncomfortable with. Um, I've always been asked you know whether I want certain information up or what I, what I'm comfortable with and uh, like time I audition for a musical I'm asked whether I want to sing also or tenor and I, I appreciate that. I, that. that is exactly how that should be approached is just just treat people like people and then you know like honor them for what they what they've you know what, honor them for the what they represent. When that has its time, but when the time is just here is their skill as an actor, make that the focus, you know. Like, if it's about the play, keep it about the play, keep it about how good they are in the play. Don't turn it into oh, come see it to go to come see the gay person because then you're going back around to minstrel minstrelizing them.
3: And I think coming I mean, back I to like the spectacle
0: it. of the
4: yes, exactly, back of, to the of the, the person who's different, person. yeah. Is there an
3: it. etiquette to, because I think that's where I worry that I'm, I'm overstepping my boundaries or I'm overstepping the etiquette of, of having that conversation because I, I have, I have tried to ask those questions and, but I don't want to offend someone and make them not feel, I wouldn't always be comfortable asking those questions because I have a really great relationship with you, Robin, and we've been friends for a long time. I feel like that conversation is easier to be had with you. So is it, is there a better or a more, um, inclusive way of asking, is it just that I have that type of information on every audition sheet? What's your pronoun? What is your
2: yeah I
4: think it well I think that goes back to what Jed said about normalizing I think the conversation would be less uncomfortable. it was more normal to be like hey what are your pronouns you know like that that shouldn't be seen as such a crazy thing to ask somebody um as far as the etiquette of it again I think you do more than fine you always if you if you say something that you think might be stepping a line you're always like hey if that makes you uncomfortable you don't have to answer you know like and that is fine you you're I think I think an important step approaching it professionally would maybe be to get like a a diverse. City representative for LCT, somebody who can make those decisions and talk to people in the LGBT community and get their information. so like, you, so maybe, you know, if you're worried about other people being comfortable, maybe, you know, get them to just talk to another queer person within the theater and have that discussion with them instead of having to have it with somebody who identifies as straight or cis or whatever.
3: Yeah. And not trying, I mean, because I feel like there's a little, there's a little bit of a level of tooting, tooting the horn right now. Um, I was really proud of LCT last year, in fact, uh, we voted and changed all of our bylaws to include the pronouns they and them as opposed to being he or she or masculine or feminine. And then the other thing that I've really been proud of within our, even our children's program and our youth program, we have um, multiple children that um, ha, are either choosing to use they or them or expressing their true form. And I, that's, we've always said um, to those children, you t- what is your what is your name what is your you know how would you like to be addressed and they have been welcomed even by the other children and families where i thought they might not like i said i i think it's so sad and it's disheartening to feel like i've got to be prepared to you know talk to someone or remove someone or whatever for that type of feelings but i'm always so it i still get lifted up when it doesn't seem to be the problem that i worry someone else is gonna make it i'm i'm ready for the time that i don't have to worry or i don't that my lgbtq family and friends don't have to worry about someone not liking
2: it
4: well (laughs) and and like honestly lubbock is a lot like especially like i mean like it's the people who come to see the shows at LCT are a lot more tolerant than I mean, like even I would have thought originally. Because when we did Epic Proportions, I didn't get. I mean, I got very. I got like maybe one dirty look in the lineup the whole three weekends
3: that we did it. You, you know, were like parts of that show. You uh, were like thank you. Parts of that show. I show
4: a lot too. It was it, like I had way more people tell me you know, that was amazing. And that was, you know, like it was, it was, it was, it was, or like I had, I had people within the LGBT community be like, it was great seeing you up there, you know? Like that was, that was the majority of what I, I I did not get the kind of like vitriol from people that I was expecting.
2: and, and for, it wasn't a young
4: audience and that's yeah no, there I was were a lot of older people that came to see it and i was i was very surprised at how respectful people were i was, yeah. I, was I was pleasantly surprised to be sure yeah. i was very pleasantly surprised
2: yeah. when I, was, I went and saw it it was a pretty old audience and i was like oh man how's this gonna go but it was fine they all like they were totally into it everybody was laughing it was a good time
3: So, you know what, patrons, we love you. We love you when you come see our shows. We love you that you are so supportive of what we try, even when we fail, what we try to do. y'all are y'all are part of the community so see look at there we're
4: lct's community is great and i will say that out of every theater in lubbock lct is the theater that i i personally feel the safest auditioning for and and the safest at because while there are still steps steps to take lct has taken far many more than most other local theaters like especially in texas especially in texas
2: charlie and i snuck a gay love story into young frankenstein (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's uh that's maybe like one of two or three times i've played an lgbt character um it's really nice to be like i don't know it started as a joke but like i'm just glad that we got that in there
2: well and like when i told the director she's like love it and like yeah went, like, yeah, do it. like she it was there. like cool with it and she's like neat so <laughs> it's fun
3: uh thank be- you robin you always have such great insight and so articulate and knowledgeable um i love it when you come on you need to come on oh, like more you. often
4: anytime y'all want to have me i'm not it's i'm quarantined as hell so i'm not doing anything right <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, i um, keep thinking i really need for
4: this all, also I mean, really funny oh. aside real quick jed you said look up death of the salesman and somewhere Texas is doing it even and with you- the pandemic going on a city just did it in March and a city's planning on doing it in November post pandemic in this year that's two this year so that's hilarious a- that assuming
0: that's November so is a uh, post pandemic
4: oh yes <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's not so uh, somebody, somebody knock on wood don't manifest that right
0: sense. right but uh yeah it's, well that's the thing is that the, these cano- canonical shows are always being done everywhere and we don't really need to see them again Kind nope. Of tired of them. <laughs> if I say
4: Midsummer's Night stream one more time, I swear. Oh, man. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, I mean and,
3: and, and... Usually wow. we have some type of amazing ending paragraph that we're like, oh, yep, that's that's the closer.
1: We could cool. remind people again to go to killroys.org. Yes, is the Kilroys
4: check out some of those K-I-L-R-O-Y-S.
3: I love that Robin sent me that link in a message right after we were talking about it. Like, I already had it in real time, ready to go.
0: Well, I guess on that note, we will go ahead and and wrap it up. Heather's even making this hand gesture. She's ready to get out of here.
2: (laughs) She's got Uh, stuff to do, Jed. She's busy. Yeah, (laughs) By the time people are hearing this... Will it be like tomorrow is the the LCT liveish? Yeah. Well. If they're listening on the day it comes yeah, out, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: And you would still it's have a, time to get your tickets at that point. Um, we have a we have a very diverse mix of writers and artists uh, viewpoints. I'm I'm really I'm really excited about it, and I just want some bombos.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So
2: I'm excited about the bombos. You get there.
0: Yep. Yeah, Twenty dollars will get you a ticket with a dessert. Delivered to I'll your go. house.
2: Uh, if they're if they're buying your tickets the day this comes out, they can't get dessert.
0: Too no, long. it'll be past that. So you'll probably have to settle at that point for the ten dollar ticket. It still gets you to see the show. You're just Email too me late me to order a dessert.
3: Email me at heather m at I might, you know, get your dessert in a little bit. But you gotta let me know.
0: Yeah, you gotta do it right now. Right now. Yeah. like like yeah, right now. But the link link will go live seven PM yeah. July twenty-fourth. Yeah. Saturday, July twenty-fourth. And it'll be
3: twenty-fifth.
0: Yeah. Twenty-fifth. Yeah. It is the Saturday, be, but it's the twenty fifth. Right. But it'll be up for about a week. Once you've got your tickets, you'll have about a week to watch the show if you're not able to watch it on the day of Yeah, yeah so go get tickets.
2: I've seen some of the stuff from it. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm.
0: If you've uh, if you've got anything you want to chime in on the discussion that we have had today you can email us at lctpodcast at org. And with that, I think we're going to sign off. So thank you so much to Robin, to our guest, for being here and contributing to this discussion. On behalf of my co-hosts and of Lubbock Community Theater, this has been Five so Places. Thank, thank
2: you. Thank you Bye. Bye.
0: Five Tell Places is a production of Lubbock Community Theatre. Special thanks to our guest this week, Robin McCulloch. Always good to have you back. Be sure to have a look at thekilroys.org, a vast and ever-growing library of work by women and LGBTQ artists. Have a look, and maybe point your play selection committees in that direction. Our theme music is Pizza and Video Games by Bonus Points. Links to these artists and their work will be in the show notes. Look them up and show them some support. Thanks for being with us this week. And as always, thank you for supporting live theater in the Lubbock, Texas area and beyond.